I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. On today's episode, I go solo with Coach Eric Huddleston, and we talk everything Programmapalooza. Eric is a director of performance at IFAS and has worked five strength conditioning internship roles for private facilities and universities, including Texas Tech and Indiana University. Eric received his bachelor's in exercise science from Ball State University and his master's in exercise science from the California University of Pennsylvania. As a strength and conditioning coach, Eric specializes in performance, rehabilitation, and conditioning for his clients and athletes. In this episode, we dive into the following topics. His decision-making and programming design strategies specifically for myself, his overall views towards programming, programming methodologies and tools such as contrast pairing and oscillatory isometrics, what ipsilateral and contralateral will bias you towards, what the curtsy lunge is all about, asymmetrical respiratory cueing, and the benefits of coaches having coaches. So without further ado, here is our episode with Eric Huddleston. Okay, we are officially recording here. Eric, we are spending quite a few early mornings together lately. It's been fantastic talking about straight up exercise. <laughs> right. No, it's been good. It's been good. It's always good to start early. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad we feel the same way about that. Today, we're specifically going to talk about like my training program and working with you as my coach. And, you know, you were pretty much like the first person I thought about because one, which was very important to me, is your performance oriented. Um, you know, you're, you're going to want me to improve kind of fitness qualities over kind of you know, movement and range of motion, which aren't fitness goals and aren't, you know, excuse me, you know, my overall goals as a, as a person and a, and a client of yours. And then also, you know, we speak similar language. So I know we can communicate very well, but I also know that you probably have a much deeper understanding than me in which I can gain, um, you know, a different perspective and hear your opinions and, and hear about your decision making, which is going to make me a better coach, you know, like hashtag coaches having coaches. Uh, right. but, the, but there's great value. And to me, I think it's one of the best educational experiences you can have. Um, because, you know, programs that you basically perform a training program through a multi-week process, but then also get to interact with the person who wrote that, hear about the whys um, and hows and how they go about doing things. That's just to me, like probably the best like medium for education at this point. Right. No. And I think, I, I think that's really important because as much as, um, as much as I think that you feel like you're getting from this, I get the same thing. So, so being able to, being able to have another coach be willing to try stuff out for me or be able to see what this feels like and get feedback from you. Um, and, and, you know, the kind of questions that you, that you bring to the table when we do this kind of thing, that just helps me. It's the same thing. You know, the reason that I put stuff out on social media is because 
the types of questions that I get and the types of responses that I get and the different viewpoints that are provided from that kind of thing are really, really important for me as a coach also, because, you know, I spend most of my day training, um, training clients and athletes that maybe don't have that same worldview that you and I share. Um, maybe this is stuff that they, they think that they have to do or stuff that, you know, it's not their, it's not their main, their main lane in life. And so, being able to have somebody who this is what they do also give you that kind of feedback on your programs and see how things go is really, really important for me. So I appreciate that also. Yeah, definitely. In my strategy course group classroom, actually last week, we were talking and had this big discussion about, you know, generating prompting questions to kind of be able to go through, ask yourself a question, answer it, and then ask a deeper question and then ask a deeper question. And it makes mind mapping for them and kind of you know, organizing their current knowledge and beliefs um, in a more organized fashion because they can kind of go into a deeper level, ask themselves why, where those beliefs come from, what it's useful for, why it's important. And just kind of like what you're talking about is like having someone else ask you those questions in person or remote. Um, right. what are, what's kind of like the biggest difference or different approach maybe between having someone in person and remote, because I'm sure a lot of your remote clients um, kind of share the same language where you probably communicate different than like a general population client you see in person. Right. Um, well, obviously with it being a little bit more hands off, the, the amount of change within a session that I'm allowed to make is probably the biggest difference that I notice. Um, um, you know, when I have somebody in person, and, and I'm watching each and every rep that they do. Um, it, I'm, I'm able to make changes more on the fly than I am with kind of the virtual, the virtual realm that we, we work in right now. So, you know, I have, and I, 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 everybody that I work with, I recommend that they send me videos on things that they're not sure about, or, or maybe, you know, the language is a little muddy. Obviously we've gone over all of this stuff in kind of a, in a different session, but, um, making sure that that little tweaks are made day to day is probably the thing that I that I find is the biggest loop to, to kind of get over between virtual and in person just because I make a lot of changes on the floor like my programs are very fluid regardless I want them to be accommodating to however you are feeling that day mm -hmm. but um, I can recommend a change faster in person than I can typically online. And so that's where I rely really heavily on feel for you guys um, as a distance client is just being able to say, all right, maybe this didn't feel right today, but um, you know, I'm going to drop the weight or whatever it is kind of making those recommendations on your own, which is good because I'm working with a coach who typically, you know, can feel those things. Um, I think that would be more difficult with, with a distance client who didn't have this kind of background just because, they kind of go by what the paper says for the most part. Like if the paper reads this and I did X amount of weight last week, I'm going to stick with that this week. And so I've, I've been fortunate to, to kind of only coach coaches online right now. And so a lot of those mistakes are kind of curved and hopefully at some point we can figure out a way to, to get that, you know, to a broader audience. But yeah, I think that's probably the main, the main difference between the two. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I mean, the, people that I serve the most like remotely are physical therapists and other trainers. And what's nice is kind of, they feel like they have a little bit of autonomy because they, you know, can, they feel like they can make decisions and so forth. And then some of the barriers I kind of feel with, you know, general population clients remotely is 
their kind of inability to, you know, adapt a little bit. I remember I had one client who uh, there was a, I think a split squat and someone was holding like, I think I was holding a kettlebell. And in the program I wrote like dumbbell split squat. Right. And she was like, well, the video is wrong. Like I don't have a kettlebell. And I was like, it's okay. Like just replace it with a dumbbell. That's, that's right. really it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It seems so simple to you and I, but like, exactly. That, that can be uh, kind of a, uh, when you get caught in the language of a program and, and the person that you're writing this for thinks that everything is concrete, then that can, that can be kind of difficult to, to get around sometimes. So. Absolutely. All right. So let's zoom out, get a big picture, see the whole forest forest. And then we're going to zoom in and look at like each piece of bark on a tree later on with specific exercises. So overall, what was your kind of um, thought process and what drove your decisions in relation to me specifically and kind of the direction that you wanted to take it in? Right. So, so bird's eye view, um, and you and I have an assessment process that we go through where we get to know each other. We talk about your goals and all that stuff. So that's a video session that we do, you know, before anything else happens in terms of constructing a program for you. So the, the main thing that I look at in that situation is, okay, uh, being a distance client, what, what equipment do you have access to? Um, what kind of, like, how often are we training? So training volume, and then, you know, how many days a week do we need to be looking at programming for? So, um, if I were just to write a one day program for you, that would be, in my opinion, really, really dialed in, um, to exactly what we're doing as a training program, but also for you as a client that would get boring, um, you know, repeating the same day. And we talked about early on, you were wanting, wanting to train between three and four times a week. So, um, having as much um, you know, variation in those days was important for me while also focusing on a theme for you. So dialing in that theme was really just about kind of your training goals. So, um, you know, making sure that we could still incorporate kind of lifts that you enjoy. So pressing, um, kind of the big bang stuff, um, which I love also. Um, and, and then I, I, you know, I did cheat a little bit, um, cause I had, recent or at least semi-recent uh, measurements from you from Campo. So that kind of stuff led me in, in kind of the direction of, okay, these are things that we maybe need to incorporate a little bit in terms of setting up constraints on things, but really you left the door open um, from, from an exercise standpoint and being able to try new things. Obviously, like you said, keeping things dynamic, which, um, you know, in my, in my, daily training setting, I, I do a lot of that with gin pop anyways. Um, I think that it's really important for me to include plyometric and athletic looking things because that to me is just another form of load. Um, the, you know, the relationship that you have with the ground and the plyometric exercise is going to be similar to what you would do if you were going to load, um, you know, a more static type of exercise. So it's just more exposure, that kind of thing. And I think that a lot of clients, if they haven't done that kind of thing in their real life, like let's say you had no athletic background, which obviously that's not true, but if you had no athletic background, that's something that we can add to your, to your movement vocabulary, at least, and have it be something that maybe you enjoy. Or if, you know, we set you up in it for the first time and you just absolutely hate it, then I know off the bat that you hate it. So um, it makes things kind of easy for me, but um, 
it's something that I really enjoy coaching. It's something that I enjoy putting together for people. So um, that's why I kind of include that stuff in everybody's program, no matter what their goals are. Um, and then just looking kind of down the list for you, aches and pains. Um, you've had some neck stuff. Um, and we'll, we'll keep this HIPAA friendly for you. Um, <laughs> it's all good. But, you can, you can send but, it out um, to the world. Right. Um, and you know, some knee stuff. So there, there's just things from a setup standpoint that, that I look at from your, from your injury kind of aches and pains and stuff like that, that I keep in the back of my mind when I'm putting something together for you. But for the most part, you left the door really, really open in terms of just wanting to try new things, wanting to learn some new setups. Um, wanting to have fun, keeping things in kind of your limited, your limited time availability. So like keeping these things, like I don't, I don't add filler in any workout, but keeping the most important things towards the top so that if you had to cut things out of this program, it would be the things that in my mind were less important towards the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. Like if my program is set up, if we look at the, the warm up page as the start, and, you know, the final thing that you do each day as the finish, it's kind of set up in a bell curve. So we ramp up in terms of intensity. We get toward, you know, your 1A, 1B, 2A type of thing in your program. And those things should be, in my mind, the most important things from the day and the most, the most intense and in terms of volume and load. So as long as those things are covered... Um, I, I tend to be good with that day. I don't, I don't need you doing much more than that, but, but if we have time to fit those things, then we have time to fit them in after that. So I'm good with that. Yeah, there was, there was a, definitely a couple things. So, you know, I typically work out if I have like 45 minutes or an hour between a client, which usually I set up on purpose because that's like, you know, exercise during that time, work out, hit it hard. And then like done, I'm not interested in like spending an hour and a half or two hours at the gym. Those, those days have come and gone. I like to <laughs> do what I need to do, move on. And your lifts are like perfect for that. I'm in and out in like 45 minutes. Um, and then also I think there was my one point to you was like, please always include a trap bar deadlift. Like do not take that out. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And then also like going back to, um, you mentioned Campo, uh, Mike Cambrini is like a mutual friend of ours. He's a physical therapist and he did some table test measurements on me, uh, before he left and moved to Arizona, which kind of, he just sent those on to you. Um, and that kind of just gives you, you know, don't go into like specifics because I honestly, personally don't really care about specifics too much in terms of that because that's that's not the goal and that's not what I'm honestly it's not what I'm interested in like if you increase my hip flexion it's not going to mean anything to me then that's just me other people can mean a lot too um so what kind of like general concepts did you did you take from that information um the most glaring things I just look for red flags I look for things um in, in terms of measurements that are going to you know limit kind of the setup of an exercise. So like you said, if you don't have great hip flexion, what I'm not going to do is have you step up on a box that puts you in 90 degrees of hip flexion and try to push out of that or something like that. So it really just guides me in terms of how I, how I place constraints with you. Um, and so that, again, that makes the exercise easy because if I set up the constraints, and this is true of my in-person coaching also, if I have an exercise set up with, with the correct constraints, there should be very little I have to say about each individual exercise. So, 
So whether I'm in person or doing something virtual, if I have the right things in place um, and set up the right way for you as an individual, it should make my job pretty easy in terms of execution. If things weren't right, then that was the wrong exercise selection on my end, but I set up the things that I thought were going to make you the most successful in that exercise. Awesome. And, uh, you know, you told me, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty typical female cross country runner body. <laughs> um, does that have any impact or is that just like the positions that you're going to choose to put me in, which we can kind of get into later? Um, it does. Um, and, and so I know what kind of training you do from, from like an aerobic standpoint outside of here. And so that mm -hmm. plays into the type of loading that we do on the program, but, um, in general, yeah, like like you have a narrow ISA. I take that into account. So I know what kind of what kind of breathing you're gonna be biased towards. I know that like IR is probably not going to be your your strong suit, at least initially, and that shows up in the numbers also. Um and so I have to just keep those things in mind. But it really for you, with you not being in any type of like current chronic pain, those things can kind of go by the side and they don't make it they don't carry as much weight as they would if you were in pain or were having, you know, issues with those movement, movement qualities. So. Hey, Eric, can you just repeat that maybe a little bit louder? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm messing with you. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and then my training age as well, because, you know, if I was new to all this, you might not be able to program all those dynamic activities you do, but you're able to kind of know, pre program pretty complex exercises because you have like this amazing athlete in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, that, that, that is actually really, really a, a, a great point because, um, you know, if you were, if you had never squatted before, we probably wouldn't have started with, with the type of squat that we did or, or any type of dynamic movement really, because, um, it, it, everything at the, your initial program has to be kind of spoon fed and everything has to be at a controlled tempo uh that's kind of the way i started start out on that and so you need to you need to learn how these movement patterns feel and and movement patterns you know kind of a big term but if we're talking squat hinge you know push pull those type of things you've got to learn how those feel before we can start getting into like you know prescribing breathing on something uh you know an asymmetrical breathing pattern on something is going to be way too complex for somebody who just starts out on on this and doesn't really know what they're doing to begin with so it was, it was nice uh, to, you know, kind of start with you and you have this, uh, this kind of wide array of movement options that are available to you uh, because of your training age. So that's great. Yeah. And I feel like that's a lot of the appeal for working with like professional athletes and collegiate programs is it may not necessarily be true, but I feel like you have, you know, a wider array of things to, to choose from with them and people find that Absolutely. pretty exciting. Um, Absolutely, yeah. All right, let's dive into the program here. So first, you know, wide picture view, how do you set up and what are your different blocks uh, for each like training session? So how does your program look basically? Right. So just based on how many days that, that you wanted to train, which like I said, we were three or three to four. Um, and you said you were okay with repeating a day. So I felt comfortable um, keeping things really, really fresh with a three-day program. Um, and so I, I do, I kind of split that up for you in terms of primary exercises. And so um, 
you know, I don't start by writing your reactive section. I actually start by writing in the resistance section and I loop back and try to make things in that reactive section that are going to, um, going to pair well, I guess, with, with the exercises that you have later in your resistance. So they should be things that you see again, as you revisit the program, um, in, in terms of like the more loaded superset stuff towards the middle of the block. So, um, Again, going back to like uh, the big movement patterns, um, I like to start with, you know, maybe a squat day and a press day and a, a hinge day for you um, because those were the things that you, you talked about liking. And so those will be the main theme of each day. And again, because we are trying to get in and out, what I don't do is like a, a bodybuilding split. I'm not going to have you on an upper day and a lower day and that type of thing. I like to revisit each of those every day. Mm -hmm. um, and also I think that the way that, that we construct a program is important in terms of like not having to do too much accessory work because those things have been keyed in, in your program already. Not that I'm opposed to accessory work. Um, if they can see your program, like the, the last one on this day is a tricep extension. And that's just because I want to add a tricep extension at the end of your day. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it should be kind of a reward for the things that you've done above that maybe aren't as fun as the things that you're doing down at the bottom. Um, and that's, in, that's for everybody. Like I don't, I'm not opposed to doing bicep curls at the end of a workout. I'm not opposed to doing isolated ab exercise at the end of a workout. Um, because for the most part, like I said earlier, if you've done the things that I want towards the top of the bell curve, um, why are we not going to do those things at the bottom? If that's something that you want to do. Um, but for the most part, um, exercises are paired in superset. Um, so, so, you know, you'll always do like a one, a one B together. There's very rarely will you see like a one C that we'll need to loop in also, but that does happen occasionally. Um, and then really the general program outline is, is Mike Robertson's R7. So that's kind of what we go by. Um, you know, your release, reset, readiness, reactive resistance and resiliency at the end. I love that. Um, perfect. And then, you know, you give me a lot of autonomy within the warm up too. Um, you give me one, two, three, four, five kind of exercises. And I kind of turn those into different variations. Like you have kettlebell arm bar with opposite hip flexion, standing lat reach, forward lunge to rotation, A skips, ankle hops. I basically take, you know, A skips and I do a few variations of A skips. Same thing for like ankle hops and the different types of forward lunges that I, that I do each day. Cause really with those, you're just looking for like the general concepts. Right. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm trying to get you from something that is very static, maybe on the ground, like your arm bar up to moving and then to a little bit more dynamic movement. And I think that flows really well as we, we kind of enter the top of your program on there. So. Absolutely. Okay. So we got, you know, we'll start, you know, after the warm up. day one usually includes reactive drills, which is usually a one to two kind of med ball throwing or plyometric activities. And then your resistance block usually includes about six exercises that are, are paired 1A, uh, 1B, uh, 2A, 2B, 3A, 3B. And then resiliency finishers. So I love, love this stuff. Um, so what you do is you have long duration intervals and you also have short duration intervals within your resiliency block. Um, let's talk about a few options here. So for your end of conditioning, um, like finishers within your program, 
you do a couple of different things. There are short duration intervals. Let's talk about what run the rack is and then on the minute and then repeat pushes. Right. <laughs> um, run the rack is, is honestly one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, it is just a, it, it's just a limited break um, kind of drop set. Um, so, you know, pick up the heaviest pair of dumbbells that you can curl, curl them as many times as you can, set them back down, go down to the next weight and continue on until you've kind of cleared the rack. And so that's one that's a favorite of ours at the gym. Um, you know, clients love that. Uh, I love that as a finisher. I think that it's, you know, if you're someone that doesn't love, um, you know, more of the endurance kind of set and rep range, um, it's one for me that I think is really valuable. I think that, um, you know, I think that in the future, we'll, we'll find that sets to failure are probably something that we don't look at enough in our training. Um, it, it's usually not given as an option um, in a lot of training programs. And I think that that's going to be something that, you know, within the next couple of years, we'll, we'll see some value from, um, especially with our general pop, um, that, you know, maybe just doing one set to failure of something ha has some benefit to it. And that's across the board, not just obviously doing, doing dumbbell curls in, in, in the exercise at the end of it, but, uh, you know, maybe for other, for other movements. And so that's something that will, that I'll definitely be keeping my eye out for going down the line. Um, sorry, what was the next one you asked about? It's fine. It's funny you say that because we had a previous guest, Eric Smith of the Memphis Grizzlies, and he basically said the exact same. That's one of his main focuses is strength endurance and pushing people to failure and the importance of that and getting 15 to 20 um, RMs um, from his athletes. And, you know, that conversation and then different conversations with coaches, um, you in terms of like your contrast pairing ideas of, you know, what you said is you put like the resistance exercise in there, like high force production activity, and then you're going to pair it with something that mimics that a little bit with either oscillation isometric activity, which we'll, we'll get to in a second, and then more like a dynamic activity paired with that to increase like velocity and speed within that, that same movement. Those kind of conversations and really stepping back. And I take a lot of notes on programming, especially from conversations that I have with people and really think about organizing it in a better way. And I think recently I definitely have kind of taken a step back and really overdone my programming and to see like what or like assessing what I do and making a lot of changes to it. And these are the types of things that um, I've probably implemented a, a lot more with my, my clients. Uh, the next one was on the minute and then repeat pushes. Right. So on the minute, anything that we do on the minute, essentially you've got a timer set for a minute. You have a certain number of reps that you need to accomplish during that minute. So, um, it, you know, if we're talking about a med ball slam on the minute and you've got 10 slams, you've got that entire minute to complete those 10 slams, whatever, whatever time you finish at, if you finish at 45 seconds, you've got 15 seconds of rest before that next minute starts. Um, and so that's, that is another fun one for me because the, the quicker you do it, the more intensity you have to that exercise, but, and you've got a, a good rest period after that, the, the more you spread that out, um, you know, the less rest that you have, but you've also spread, you know, spread your rest out among, you know, during the time that you're using the, mm -hmm. for the minute. So, um, and then remind me what the last one is. fine. And I love that kind of stuff, like the urgency within a given time frame. Uh, 
as the last thing you do. And especially for clients and general population clients, uh, finishing with some sort of short duration intervals at the end, like really makes them leave feeling like they, you know, got a sweat in, you know, really exerted themselves, which a lot of people enjoy when they come to the gym. The last one was repeat pushes, a lot of sled repeat pushes. Right. So that one I love as a finisher. Um, It is, so I'm really big on kind of uh, diluting athletic movement to kind of a base. Uh, So, so for me, that base is like a sensation when you're, when you're creating a push or when you get hip extension, I like the feeling of that. So what I'll do, and this is probably too much backstory on this, but, but what I'll do is I'll set them up in kind of an ISO hold to see what that hip extension feels like. And I'll have them breathe in that position. And then the next like logical step for me in that would be kind of being able to reproduce that sensation over and over again on the same side. So maybe it's not cyclical in terms of left, right, but being able to feel hip extension again and again by pushing off the same leg is something that I like as an idea. And I I think that in practice, it's been really nice for me so far um, to kind of reinforce what I'm looking for in terms of, you know, a sprint mechanic. So for you, um, you know, you talk about the type of training that you do in in terms of like aerobic capacity outside of here. And so I try to complement that with some stuff that is a little more anaerobic, a little more glycolytic, um, things that are going to be, like you said, those, those short intervals. And so I think that those are tough, um, to accomplish because I'm having you do this kind of very challenging repeat exercise on the same side on one way down. And then, you know, the reverse leg on the way back. Um, and I think those things have a good carryover. And for you, there are things that, that I just need to get exposure to at the end of the day to make sure that we've got this well-rounded program that we're looking at. Yeah. Love that. Perfect. Okay. So let's go through, now we're going to zoom into the program. We're going to go through, right now I've been through four phases and four weeks for each phase. Um, I'm going to start with phase one, so 1.0, and we'll go through a few exercises and then we'll transition to the next phase and we'll talk about maybe your overall view in terms of transitioning to the next phase and then we'll go into specific exercises. Cool. All right. All right. So phase one, let's talk about the 45 degree propulsive lunge. Right. So, um, you know, again, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't put too much value on, on the numbers that you, that I, that I get from Campbell on this, but, um, just knowing your shape and the things that you have done in your past, um, I probably have to, to consider the fact that like, pronation is not your best friend in most cases, especially when we're talking about like max effort propulsive things. And so um, that for me is a really, really good feeling exercise in being able to extend that leg, but also we're pushing off of medial foot um, and, and the direction of it is easily attained, right? Like I'm not having you go straight forward. I'm not having you go, you know, hundred percent laterally. And so the 45 degree is that kind of bounding. Um, you know, if you look at like traditional bounding at a 45 degree angle or like a Euro step, um, that type of thing for me is really easy to coach. Um, and, and also the setup of it is pretty easy. Like the ball's on your hip and you're just pushing and, and catching yourself on a box. And so, learning how to push and then and on the reciprocal end of that, learning how to catch yourself in a position that's advantageous for catching, which is having that foot land on a box. 
um, and having it help you kind of put the brakes on is, is kind of a, a double header for me. And it, it ends up just working really, really well in an initial program. So I know that you know how to do like a standard lunge. Um, and I know that you know how to do like, you know, whatever a layup step would look like. And so this is kind of for me, okay, let's start her here and see how, see how this looks for her going forward. Awesome. All right. So right racked front foot elevated split squat. Right. So um, we'll break this down. And this is actually, this is actually a, a golden rule for anybody listening. Um, if you add ipsilateral weight, um, the bias for them is going to be towards ER on that front hip. If you have contralaterally loaded weight, the bias is going to be towards IR on that hip. So whatever the front hip is in this situation. So I want to keep you right racked and front foot elevated. The front foot elevation is going to bias you a little bit towards what you already, what you already kind of do well, which is, is the breaking phase of that squat. Um, what we're going to get from that right rack is it's going to give you some oblique ab on that side to push yourself back to your left. Um, and so that's important because right now I, I, the numbers show me that, that you are kind of over pushing to your right. So we're going to get you kind of centered with that right ab. Um, and we're going to start you because your right hip was a little bit more limited in terms of range of motion. We're going to start you on that side because this would be hopefully the most advantageous position for you to do a really clean looking split squat in. And so, um, again, like I could set you up in that and that be completely not what I wanted to look like. And fortunately it was. Um, and so, um, that's just, it, I, again, kind of putting all of the constraints in a, in a way that is going to make you the most successful at the exercise is what I want to start at when I always do this, because I think that you'll see benefit from the way that it's set up. But I also think that if I have you, if I have anybody who's new to an exercise program and you are just wildly unsuccessful at every single thing. Um, that's not a good feeling at the end of a workout anyways. And so I try to bias things in a way that you're going to be good at them, but they also give me, you know, pieces of what I, what I'm looking for in an exercise at the end of the day. Nice. So I think I should go back. And when I give the name of an exercise, I should probably talk about like what that setup kind of looks like. So right racked would be I have a kettlebell on my right arm racked the whole time. And I perform a split squat with my front foot elevated on my right leg and on my left leg, both in that right racked position. Right. Awesome. Okay. Bridge one arm floor press. So this is when I'm laying on the ground. I have a ab mat basically on my upper back between my back and the ground. And you can talk about the specific location you would like that in. And I have one dumbbell. Um, I'm in a hook line position. So my knees are bent, feet are flat on the ground. Right. So um, just from a positional standpoint, heads on the ground, shoulders are kind of elevated on, on the pad and then hips are bridged. And so she makes this really, really clean line from knee down to head on the ground. Um, and so inversion, um, it's going to, it's going to de-weight some of your pelvic diaphragm. So you should be able to get more variability in terms of an inhale and exhale for you, um, which just given your shape, your bias towards an inhale. So I'm trying to make it easier for you to exhale a little bit in that position. Um, the most important thing I was looking at in this program though, was we talked about earlier, some of the neck issues that were bothering you, um, some chronic neck pain. 
having that pad be supported under your upper back, which upper back we're talking like covering the, the, the scaps down a little bit. And so uh, what I want to do there is focus on driving air towards your cervical spine to allow like a decrease in compression in that area. So allowing that inversion is going to help you get that inhale and exhale, but it's also going to help kind of relieve some of the compression that could be causing those neck issues for you. Um, and again, uh, it just a, kind of a fun setup, but, but in terms of having, you know, everything on, you've got a bridge position. So, so posterior chain is kind of active in that exercise. You've got abs on because you're in that inverted position. Um, and of course we're doing a, we're doing a dumbbell floor press, which is Michelle's best friend. So, um, <laughs> I, I, it's kind of a, kind of a everything in one exercise for you. Man, I could press all day, every day. It's like the more press. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's yeah. that's from. But uh, do you think you know overall? You pair all of your exercises with respiration, and so this is probably one of the biggest benefits of working with you as well, or working with another coach. Is that you know, if I was writing my own training programs or walking into the gym and be like, hey, what do I want to do today? I probably necessarily wouldn't pair things with respiration because I would have like a very um, faster pace, I guess you could say, where, you know, I would just kind of do what I want to do. And with you, it's like, you know, I know Eric took the time to write this. I know there was a reason behind this and intent to, it's going to push me a lot more to make sure that I do exactly what you say, exactly what's in the comment section and make sure that I'm getting the full benefit of each exercise by making sure I'm following the respiration comments and not just, you know, holding my breath and, and, and pressing and moving weight. Right. Yeah. A lot of the times these, like the breathing that I prescribe on something is, is going to have a larger impact on, on the way the exercises is, is performed than people think. Um, you know, I had a girl the other day who did a box jump and I, 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 kind of tweaked the breathing that she was doing and she forgot the breathing on one rep and she didn't make the box jump, but it was the only rep out of the, the eight reps that I had her do that she didn't make the jump. Um, and she could, she said she felt like she just kind of flopped on the ground on that rep and kind of sunk. Um, and so that stuff is important for me. Um, also in terms of like reinforcing a tempo, if I give somebody, um, if I say, you know, we're going to do a full inhale on the descent on this exercise, that a full inhale for most people takes about five seconds. So if I want a controlled slow tempo, um, and again, on the, you know, the, the other opposite end of that, if I want something to be aggressive, like they're blowing out a candle, um, things typically move quicker when they do that. And so once it's, it's a, it is a big leap, honestly, with, with new clients to start on too much of the breathing stuff. So I try to keep that, that relatively simple. I especially wouldn't do something that's asymmetrical in terms of breathing, like right, right versus left differences. But um, I see great benefit from it. And I don't want to be overwhelming with the amount of things that people have to think about. But I know that right off the bat, that again, with your training age, that this is something that um, it shouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for us to start with some stuff like this for you. Perfect. All right. The next one would be, you don't have to talk about the specific uh, lunge matrix, but I want to dive into what your view on oscillatory isometrics is. So what I'm referring to is 
Day one, phase one, there's a three-way oscillatory isometric lunge matrix where I have a kettlebell in my hand. I'm going to take a lunge step forward while I release the kettlebell in my hand and try to beat it to the ground and catch it again. And then I'm going to take a step back, step to the uh, step laterally, do the same thing, and then step back, do the same thing. So basically, I am releasing the dumbbell, dropping and catching it nice and quick at the bottom. Right. So, so much of this is, is based on, you know, the result that I'm looking for in an exercise. But um, when I start somebody out on an, on an OI or an oscillatory isometric, I'm looking for how they break. Um, and so for you, like, I want that step for your foot to hit the ground and for your foot to be solid for it to kind of hit the floor and you know that you're in this like kind of statuesque position. So you hit the ground, you're able to put the brakes on quickly. You're able to, you know, stop the, the dumbbell or the kettlebell from, from going down any further and really like be able to control and pressurize your thorax to not fold into some compromising positions on that. And so I, you know, I'm always wary about putting stuff like that out because I don't want people to start to see what I do with, with something like that and start with too much weight. Um, and so, you know, typically I try to try to start pretty light on the kettlebell with that um, and see how you do. And so being able to, you know, find your footing in each time, because I am having you fall into each of these lunges, like you're falling forward and you're falling laterally and you're falling back and also dropping and catching something. That's, that's a pretty complex exercise to, to put together for somebody. Um, but I'm looking at a lot of things on that. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm looking at your foot position when your foot hits the ground and you should be able to get a little bit more IR and pronation on some of that stuff. You should be able to put the brakes on and not have your trunk collapse forward. Um, and so that stuff, as long as we're checking off boxes on that, I'm really, really happy with that. And it just adds another layer to, you know, three pretty standard exercises that you see a lot of people do in the gym in, in, in terms of like directional lunges. So. And, and to me, it's probably the most enjoyable thing I do because yeah. it's fun. It's incredibly fun. All right, let's move on to phase two. So what was kind of your thought process moving into to phase two? Right. Um, transition between stuff. Obviously, you know, while you're doing phase one, we've had discussions about things that you're doing on here, um, how things are feeling. Um, I've seen your videos about, about your execution on stuff. And so as long as there are, there are no things that I think are maybe holding you back or things that I think that we need to continue working on, a lot of this is progression. And so um, I have a couple ways that I progress things because when I have an exercise in mind or when I have a movement that I'm looking at in mind, I obviously in the back of my head should have this large like training menu of things that are also going to focus on that one specific, um, one specific goal of the exercise. And so whether it's a, a really clear progression from the exercise you did last time, or it's what I'll call like a lateral progression. So mm. a different exercise selection that I think is doing the same thing for you. Um, that's the, that's the way that I try to do this. And so, you know, again, going back to like the more, you know, gin pop clients that I see, I tend to make a lot of lateral progressions with what they do because they get bored easy. Um, and that's not a knock. I, I understand that they're paying for a service that, you know, things should be different looking, but I also have a goal in mind for them. And so those lateral progressions have become really, really key in my, especially in my in-training or in-person training um, because 
I need to be able to switch things up and still have this, this end goal in mind for what I'm looking at. And so, um, like I said, some of these are, are just very, very clear progressions of what you're doing. And some of them I think are just uh, better variations of, of things that, that we need to keep focusing on. So. Love it. Uh, all right. So phase two, 90 degree propulsive lunge. So I'm going to laterally push off my front foot in a curtsy position. So this is something I definitely want to hit home with because I've actually, I haven't added it to my programming with other people, but for myself thinking about it, like a curtsy position, you introduced me to a little bit. Um, you know, I add it into my own kind of position, like categorization a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about the curtsy position and Okay, so I laterally push off my front foot in a curtsy position, and I land on a low to moderate box. I'm going to let my foot drag, my push-off foot, and then I'm going to rip a ball or a small plate. I use a small kettlebell from my front hip to my landing shoulder, and then I'm going to stick it with my foot flat on the box. Right. So again, you know, we start with your last program in a 45, which I think is really, really achievable. You are used to going forward. And so that gives you a little bit more of a forward angle. But when I'm looking at being able to like maximally pronate that foot and create IR on that side, um, a horizontal push is going to be, you know, the biggest bang for my buck. And so setting you up in that curtsy position automatically um, biases you towards IR. Anybody who's done like a curtsy, uh, curtsy squat or like a bowler squat, um, I think sometimes, sometimes called a bowler's lunge also kind of knows that position and, and kind of where the knee will follow when you, when you move your center of gravity in that way. And so when I have you step back immediately, that foot that's out in front will start to turn on its, on its medial edge. Um, and so that just primes you for the type of push that I'm looking for, which is, you know, completely to the side and being able to stick that um, in terms of the kettlebell that you're holding also like those things add a little bit of momentum to your landing. And so now just as important as that push off is, is your landing. And so being able to stick that landing when your foot hits the box and not, you know, fly over the box or drift over where you're going is, is just as important to me as that push. And obviously with this being an isolated exercise, this is, this is uh, you know, a small snippet of what you might see um, in sport. And so I let that foot drag so that they can continue kind of showing, um, I don't want it to turn into two steps. I want it to be this one good step that we look at and you push off of rather than something that we're looking to make, you know, a second cut out of or whatever it is. So um, I keep it kind of isolated like that. It lets you drag your foot because that really allows you to, to demonstrate the velocity that that movement should have by allowing that foot to drag behind. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it, for me, that's a really clear progression for you. And it gets us closer towards that goal of, of you having more like medial foot sensation and being able to use that to your advantage at the end of the day. Yeah. I really like that back foot drag because that's really showing me someone pushing out of the position versus um, using like the inside leg to kind of reach and grab to the side. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're not pulling yourself to the box. You're letting that back foot do the pushing and drag it over there. So exactly. All right. Keep ripping here. All right. So now I have moved and progressed from the right racked front foot elevated split squat to a right racked step up, which um, I'm going to step on a box with uh, hip flexion, less than 90 degrees. 
the weight is always going to remain wrapped on my right side throughout. My left foot, now here's a unilateral bias, stays on the box throughout my reps as compared to the right side where my right foot is going to come off the box between reps. Right. So um, this is sneaky uh, a little bit in terms of the way the coaching setup is. So um, rather than, you know, the, the split squat that we did the last block, I, I tried to put a step up in here because I wanted a little bit more of like your gate cycle type of look on this. Um, when we talk about the foot staying on the box and so your left foot in this instance, um, when I give somebody that it automatically sets a tempo in their mind. So when you watch somebody do a step up in the gym and, and the foot that steps comes off the box every time, the downward phase of that step up tends to be lost. Um, when you watch somebody drop that foot off, they kind of just fall back to the ground on the step up and the focus there for them is obviously really on the, the upward portion of the movement. When you have someone's foot stay on the box, just from that foot staying on the box and them thinking about not taking the foot off, it tends to be a more delayed type of descent when they're stepping back down. And so I want that for your left side right now, because just based on the stuff that we've talked about um, already, your left side is really, really good at pushing. And so I want it to be a little bit better at, at controlling some of the way down in most of these exercises. And so I let your right foot do what it wants to do. It's going to step off the box in between because I need it to be a little bit more punchy. Like we talked about your right oblique wall being on. Um, I need this right side in general to be able to compress really, really quickly. And so that's why I bring it on and off the box there because once that foot comes up and it plants back on the box, um, you have to push up and, and become kind of this column of compression on the right side where the weight's already at. On the left side, that weight on the right side is going to turn you into that side a little bit. And without that leg being able to come off, you really have to be able to control yourself on the way down. And again, it's, it's without saying it in the program, because I don't like to give too many like direct cues about things. That um, just the setup alone kind of makes the execution of the exercise what I want right off the bat. Yeah, that that's a huge uh, a point. I call that kind of hidden curriculum. I got that from like Seth Oberst. It's like make these decisions, but you don't actually have to make people aware directly about like what you're doing. Yeah, I don't want most people thinking yeah. about every little detail of the program that they're looking at. Mm-hmm. All right, next one is stepping rope chop. So I have a cable set up high. I'm set up 45 degrees from the cable machine. Uh, the rope handles are gonna start at my shoulder. I'm gonna inhale, perform a lateral lunge with a chop towards the outside knee. And I'm gonna finish my inhale, kind of pausing with that cable chop um, right in front of my outside knee in that lateral lunge. And then I'm gonna exhale as I step back right so again um if we go back up some of the stuff is just a slower revisited version of what you're doing in your reactive and so being able to step in that rope chop and shift your center of gravity over to that side without that foot falling in supination is going to be a huge deal for me and so what we get you on this is kind of the sensation of your medial heel staying on the ground um, you know, you being able to push back into that hip without dumping your chest too far forward. So that's what the, that's what the cable handles do for me is it allows you to kind of push yourself back without your chest dumping forward. Too many times, if I give you a kettlebell 
and you're holding the kettlebell tight to your chest, your chest still moves forward quite a bit in, in that kind of act, in that kind of action. Um, with you using the ropes to push yourself down, if you think like a tricep extension, it'll actually push your center of gravity back a little bit and allow you to load that hip a little bit more because the arms stay long and you use the weight as, as kind of leverage to push yourself back. And so, again, setting up the constraints in a way that gives me what I want or what I'm looking for on the exercise and allows you to be successful, um, this should kind of bias you towards feeling a lot of medial foot contact, being able to shift your body weight in that direction without hinging too much um, and really loading that hip. And so that's, it's pretty straightforward in terms of being able to, to see what you're getting on that if you just change little constraints like that. Awesome. Okay, so my favorite thing, and obviously I'm biased here, is the uh, heel elevated um, staggered stance or a camperini trap bar deadlift. Right. Most, mostly because I can pick up the most amount of weight here, but okay. So I'm in a staggered stance position with my back heel elevated about 10 degrees or on a five pound plate. I use a five pound plate and I'm going to split up each rep from the ground and I'm going to, I'm working off my numbers from the kickstand deadlift that was in phase, um, one, but can you talk a little bit about why you want to specifically, for, for me, elevate my back heel? Right. So heel elevation, um, and, and this is true of anybody, um, heel elevation is going to bias towards ER. So um, if we have, like we do with you, if we have a limitation in IR, IR only exists, and I'm going to use, you know, Bill Hartman's phrasing on this, IR exists in a field of ER. So um, <laughs> ER is, is a is a you know, a range of motion um, that IR exists within. And so if I don't have access to ER, I won't have access to IR. I'll have limited access to IR, which is the kind of the case that you're in right now. Um, and so what I love about this exercise, and I, although, you know, you and I both know, I, I don't like the name on it just because Campo. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I love Campo. He just got too many things named after him at this point. Um, but having a, you know, a bilateral asymmetrical lift, first of all, your back heel is barely offset back. Um, and we've got it elevated. Um, I'm sure that and you can attest to this, like when you do this exercise, you probably only feel that back foot working or the back mm -hmm. leg working. Um, but it's, it's comforting for most people to know that they have that front foot there for support. And so it's guiding, it's, it's allowing a little bit of rotation for you on that side. So whichever heel is back, you are, you are, you know, turning a little bit towards that side. But with the weight being in both hands, it's a, it's for me in my mind, it's a better alternative to locking you in a, in a, you know, bilateral symmetrical lift and having you just grind out reps when I can really give you the same feel, but also give you a little bit of the movement options that we're looking for in terms of, of how you turn and how, you know, side to side differences in how you move. So it's, it's an easy choice for me in most cases. Love it. All right. Now we're moving to phase three here. And so, you know, phase one, we did the 45 degree propulsive lunge. Phase two, we did the 90 degree propulsive lunge with a curtsy. And now phase three, we're doing a med ball curtsy lunge in which I'm hugging a moderate med ball. I'm doing a curtsy step behind, and then I'm ripping that med ball towards the laterally falling leg. 
Right. So this is, um, this is honestly, you know, I, I remember questioning when I put this one in because it seems like kind of a leap from the last exercise to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been really happy with the way that it looks. So this one, when you rip across, basically you start in that curtsy lunge, you step behind, and then the forward foot is actually going to fall to the side that you're ripping towards. And so usually you're ripping laterally. And so to catch that foot, you have to really be able, first of all, it's, it's based on how much momentum you add to it. So how hard the rip is, how heavy the med ball is, is going to take you further on that foot. But being able to find that foot position quickly as you're falling into it is, to me, much more relatable to a cut. So um, you don't always know exactly how much momentum is going to go into a cut. You just have to organize while it's moving. And so you doing that rip and you falling out and you being able to still find that medial foot really quickly and put the brakes on is just a natural progression for me on that. Um, and it, I think that, you know, it's also for me, it's a fun one to do. And it's a fun one to put together because there are a lot of moving parts for it. Um, and I've done this with different stuff. I've done this with a med ball. I've done this with the, with the aqua bag before, um, which I really like. Um, and so there's a lot of ways that you can, you can kind of implement that and kind of cater it to your individual needs. If you want to learn more about the exercises Eric and I are discussing today, start preparing for the release of the Exercise Database 3.0 coming June 2021. The database will transform your online training business by drastically improving scalability, improving communication with your clients, and teaching them proper technique from afar. The database includes over 900 unique exercise variations that you literally will not find anywhere else, plus positional and exercise category full tutorials. The 3.0 has several new additional sections, including non-barbell Olympic lifts, drop and catch drills for athleticism, dynamic contrast pairing progressions, an expanded med ball throw section, at-home exercises, propulsive steps for speed and acceleration, and short-duration repeatable interval options. I know, this is crazy. Head over to michellebowen-training.com to learn more and look out on Instagram for the release of the database in June. Perfect. Once I get a home gym, I'll get an aqua bag there. Uh, (laughs) So you use the term uh, butterfly reps a lot with me in terms of, you know, not, not expecting every rep to look the exact same and and that's okay. Yeah. I think that is, that's actually really, really important. I think we get too married sometimes to the idea that every single rep of every little thing has to look exactly the same. And I want, I want you and I want everybody that I work with to be able to to be a little bit more accepting of the fact that like not every little rep is going to look the same, not everything that we do in, in sport or in life, you know, no two steps are alike, honestly, in the way that your foot interacts with the ground. And so why would I expect that every single rep that we do in the gym is going to look the same? I need you to be able to organize. I need the kids that I work with. And this is, this is huge because um, this is, I see a lot of this. I don't know if it's just the area that I work in, but kids are sometimes crippled if they don't do things the right way. Um, you know, the, the amount of times that I'm looked at for approval during an exercise, you mm. know, even, even during a set, um, sometimes I'm just like, dude, just do it. And, and we'll figure out what the issues are with it as we go. But, but don't constantly be looking for approval and don't act like 
everything that we, we do has to be perfect because if I'm setting you up in things that you are already good at, there's probably not a need for it in the exercise. Like there's probably not a need for it in your programming. If everything that you do, we knock it out of the park without a single mistake or a single hiccup in it. And you're not going to learn from that. So it's important for me for those reps to look different. Exactly. Per- perfect. Like this expectation of perfect movement when just like allowing someone to express it. Yeah. All right. So we have one, two, only four more exercises left. Okay. So (laughs) the next one of phase three is the, now you switch it to the left racked lateral lunge. So I, the weight stays racked on my left side throughout. I'm focusing on medial foot contact on both sides. I'm going to inhale, hold the lunge, exhale on push back to start. And I'm alternating um, between each side, always staying left rack. And to me, I felt my medial foot contact the whole time on both sides. And I felt like planted into the ground. And I've noticed some carry over to when I do, I do like a lateral two step sometimes in my warm up, And I feel very planted on that, on that medial foot contact. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I love feedback like that too, because, um, you know, during the first two blocks, I tried to give you a little bit of what you're good at, which is, which is, you know, setting that, that right leg up to kind of be successful in some of these exercises. And now that we've been, let's say, you know, this cleanly took eight weeks to get to this point. Um, and, and you will know, we'll spend four more weeks in this block. Um, now I expect that those, those carryovers, because there's like, there's a very small amount of change that's been made in the exercise besides moving where the weight is. I expect those movement qualities that you gained in the first two blocks to carry over into this. And so now I'm comfortable setting you up more where I would want you to be at versus what you were good at, say week one of program one. Um, And so that's all the changes made is like, there was, you know, in my mind, there was a goal when we first started of being able to feel that foot position really, really well. And you demonstrated through the first two programs that you could do that really well. And I, I think that there were some obvious changes made there, like you just said. Um, and so when we, when we switched to this program, it's like, okay, let's try out, you know, this kind of end goal that we're working towards of having things be left racked and you still being able to re- like demonstrate the same qualities that you had during the first two exercises. Gotcha. So it's basically like the right racked position basically biased me in a certain um, position. And then the left rack is now challenging that. Yes. Yep. Perfect. All right. So last one, phase three, supported single leg tempo step downs. So I'm going to perform a slow and controlled tempo with no rest at the top or bottom. And it's three, zero, three is the tempo. I'm going to use a rack in front of me to support if needed. And the difference is my right, the non-working leg is going to be back and the left side, the non-working leg is going forward. Right. And I, this is, this was kind of like an aha moment for me when I put stuff like this together, because it's so easy to Mm. see the outcome change on it. Um, And I think that it's something that doesn't get looked at very much. So I think this came around when I was having somebody do a, like a single leg box landing. And I kept noticing, first of all, they were, they were someone that to me was very anteriorly oriented. So weight shift was always forward for them. 
And when they landed, they were constantly shifting their weight forward. And I was like, well, I want more heel contact on that. And why aren't they giving me more heel contact? Like I thought that this exercise would, would make them do that. And uh, so I was like, let's, you know, change the direction of where that leg goes. And so where your leg goes in a single leg exercise, where the non-working leg goes, is going to tell me where your weight is shifted anyways. Like I can see your foot. It's going to tell me where you're leaning your trunk also. So for you being able to get you, you know, a little bit more forward and a little bit more, let's call it pushy on your right side and having your left side, you know, allow a little bit more sinking and a little bit more, um, you know, descent in that exercise of, of having your weight shifted back to your, your heel was the goal. So why not set it up in a way that you think, okay, I'm actively going to push this non-working leg back or forward, whichever one it is, and, and you feel the weight shift accordingly. So that to me is a really, really easy way to, to bias an exercise without having to do much in terms of setup. Yeah, that, I totally agree with that. Okay, last phase, Eric. So I am currently on phase four and I only have two exercises to dive into. So in phase three, I did the med ball curtsy lunge, which was a step to the side and I'm kind of falling and catching myself. Now in this program, I have the med ball curtsy scoop toss in which I'm holding a light med ball with long arms. I'm going to curtsy step away from the wall, and then I'm going to rotate ball over front leg and drive off my medial foot for a scoop toss. And now it's like basically doing the same thing, but I'm getting that push towards the wall and scooping and finishing with a throw. Exactly. So building up into like what is what is ultimately dynamic movement is being able to express velocity. And so um, for me, kind of the end stage of that is being able to transfer the, the velocity that you create. So you use that IR push that happens during your curtsy lunge to transfer force or generate force and transfer it to that med ball and allow it to to do its job, which is, you know, release from your hands and slam into the wall. So um that for me is, is a really clear, okay, you start in this very static position. You're able to achieve, um, you know, the foot position that we're looking for. You're able to get your knee in and out of this, this movement and drive off that foot, but you're able to also clearly demonstrate that the ball is, is having force added to it to, to move out of your hands. And so that is all I'm looking for on that exercise, you know, is, is for you, you start off with being able to to kind of accept the force that you start with. Um, so being able to land from that really cleanly to being able to repeat it really cleanly to being able to, to use it in isolation. And now finally to being able to, to transfer whatever force that you've generated on that exercise to something else is ultimately kind of the goal of, of dynamic movement or, or performance training. So um, yeah, clean progression. So I read space from a, a CrossFit facility. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. Okay. Absolutely love being there. Love all the coaches, love the owner. It's just a great experience overall. So, but they have like, I don't know, 50 med balls. It's, it's insane how much equipment they have. Right. But you know, CrossFit in general, they pretty much only do wall balls. That's like what they use med balls for. Meanwhile, I'm over here as the crazy person and I'm just like ripping med balls into the wall. I have people slamming them, whatever. And uh, there's like, I think it was a couple of days after I was doing these like scoop tosses into the wall. And I try to go into the other room when I'm doing them. 
And, you know, the owner is like awesome. And he comes up to me, he's like, you know, like, let's not use the nice med balls, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, I feel like you're destroying all of our med balls. And that's not like, you know, it's, it was so funny, but yeah, I throw med balls a lot. I absolutely love it in my training. Like you said, expressing that power and velocity. And then I think it's so important. It's on kind of like, I have weekly checklists for my programs. Like every week I I want them to express some sort of like relative, um, high intensity velocity movement. And a lot of that is through med ball throws, um, especially rotational throws. Um, so that to me is like a huge staple in my programming. Uh, last one for phase four, can you explain the X over step up, which is, I have a moderate box to my side. I'm holding a kettlebell on the same side arm as that box. And then I'm going to cross over in front with my outside leg to full foot contact on the box. I'm going to step up and then I'm going to reverse back. Right. So right off the bat, um, loading the side that you are stepping towards is going to start to shift your weight in that direction. So it should help make some of that step a little bit easier as you are going, because um, if anybody's watched your video with this, um, it is not the most like smooth looking exercise in a lot of cases. And so what we're doing now, if we look back to your, to your first program and kind of that 45 degree push, that 45 degree push is, is pretty easy to, to achieve when you are just kind of arbitrarily stepping forward. But now when you've got a box to step up to, that 45 degree foot contact is going to be important to push through, especially as we get into greater ranges of hip flexion. And so when we're looking in terms of like knee health, um, being able to, to push through those positions as you're like, if we really break this down, we're getting into like tibiofemoral, like the relationship there changes. And so the tibia starts to IR as you push and your femur starts to ER as you push in that position, especially it's really determined on your, on your knee flexion. But um, the way that your knee pushes through that exercise for me um, and the way that it feels as you go up and then you reverse it back down, um, it should be a position of control in both directions. And again, like finding that, that 45 degree foot position, using it to push, all we're doing is stepping that forward into greater degrees of hip flexion, trying to repeat the same action that you're doing there. Awesome. Man, you know, the reason why I, you know, I have a great amount of respect for you, but not a lot of like coaches can sit there and just go into like grave detail about every single exercise. It's incredible. And I hope people, yeah, yeah, I hope people really enjoyed it. Um, And hope they like dive deeper a little bit, you know, you can find all of these videos to these exercises on my Instagram, but then also yours as well. Um, So can you tell people, you know, where to find more about you? Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have all the social medias um, besides TikTok, which if you ask all my middle school athletes, <laughs> that's probably the one that I should get. Um, but I'm trying to avoid that as possible. Um, I'm, I'm primarily active on Instagram. So um, if you don't follow me already, it's EPH period two four. Um, Michelle is also kind enough to tag me in a lot of a lot of her posts. And so you can probably find me on hers. 
Um, but that's the one I'm most active on. Um, and if you need to get a hold of me other than that, um, email is always a great option for me. I welcome, if you have questions on stuff, go ahead and email me. It's Eric, E-R-I-K-H-U-D-D at gmail.com. Perfect. Yeah. And a lot of your Instagram posts go into all of these explanations. So it's like, it's not like you had to, you know, come up with these before this podcast. It's like when you post an exercise, you go into grave detail about how this could be useful for a specific individual, but then also support maybe a different body type as well. And maybe what changes you would make to that exercise. It's completely invaluable, like information that you put up. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And and if I could say like my Instagram is, is a lot of like the, the problem solving stuff for me. So it's, it's really specific to my population, which is mostly, you know, middle school, high school, college, some professional athletes. And so um, whenever I've got an issue with them that, you know, maybe I don't like the exercise that I prescribed or, or that I came up with for them, it's being able to kind of, okay, this fixed a need for me. And so maybe it's value to somebody else, but I, I like to leave the door open for people to use their own creativity to, to, change the exercise into whatever they need for, for whoever they're working with. So um, yeah, appreciate that. Awesome. Well, Eric, I've greatly appreciated and enjoyed having you as my coach and uh, hopefully other people can get that same experience. Yeah. Love it, Michelle. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the more train less pain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review on Apple podcasts. The more positive reviews we get, the easier it becomes for fine movement professionals like you to find us, and the more time Michelle and I can devote to bringing on high-caliber guests and continuing to produce a high-quality show. If you're still listening, that means you're pretty cool, and that likely means your friends are pretty cool too. We'd love for them to become fans of the show. Spread the injury prevention love and the biomechanical knowledge by sharing a screenshot of your favorite episode on Instagram. Be sure to tag at Dr. Michelle Bolin and at Tim Richard DPT when you do. Now get out there and go train.